Coming up on today's show, Aaron O'Toole will likely face a leadership vote tomorrow morning. Looks like he's definitely on the rope. Will he survive? Will the Ottawa convoy, or does the Ottawa convoy, signal the latest step towards a populist movement in our country? And it's the year of the tiger. Aaron O'Toole's leadership looks like it might be just about over by the looks of things. Uh, We're going to chat now with Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist, consultant, and writer. Melissa, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Shay. It's great to be here. It seems you and I talk about this this topic quite a bit, but it looks like this may be once and for all, right? Uh, uh, If you're just joining us, basically what happened is uh, it sounds like 35 MPs have signed a, a petition or a request that would trigger a, a leadership review at the next caucus meeting, which is scheduled for tomorrow morning. If it's 50% plus one uh, against Aaron O'Toole, that's it. He's done immediately, and an interim leader is 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 brought in. Is that how you understand it, Melissa? Is that where we are right now? Yeah, that that seems to be where things are. Though there's a lot of a lot of different information circulating in the media, but it's it sounds at this point like tomorrow when. Um, the Conservative Party of Canada meets as a caucus. There, there sounds like there will be a vote um, challenging his leadership. And so he's going to have to answer for that. Back in September of last year, or October, I guess, of last year, after the last federal election, the Conservative Party of Canada was the first um, since the Reform Act provisions were changed to actually empower caucus to make these kinds of decisions. So if you're thinking to yourself, how does caucus have this kind of power? Uh, they voted on this after the last election, and um, and so here we are. It's 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 wild to me the sort of roller coaster that we've been on. Um, it, it looks a lot like O'Toole is not going to survive this yeah. if the numbers quoted in the media are what they say they are, but. I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Um, the other interesting part of this, and no doubt um, the discussion will center around this, is why we got here. There are lots of reports today from inside sources apparently saying that the reason this was triggered is because of the uh, party's decision to fast-track approval of the Liberal government's ban on conversion therapy. They're the so-called conversion crew within the Tory caucus that are very upset with that move, and that's what triggered all of this. Is that what you're hearing, too? I'm I'm definitely hearing some of that. I would say that that's probably not the whole story. I would say that um, there are several things that people within the Conservative caucus have been upset with O'Toole about. Conversion um, therapy is definitely... Um, an issue that's very um, attractive to sort of talk about because it's it's quite a contentious issue. Yeah. But as, as far as other issues go, I mean, people were upset with um, the way in which O'Toole brought in what people are calling a de facto carbon tax after committing that he wouldn't do that in the leadership in 2020. People are upset about the fact that the conservative platform um, wasn't all that fiscally responsible um, in the last election. People are upset about the fact that um, they have sort of personal issues with O'Toole and his team and the tone um, that they take. People are upset um, with how he has dealt with issues like gun control, if you want to look at maybe where more progressives in the party are upset. Uh, and so so it's not, I want to emphasize, it's not just the one thing right. that has brought us to this point, but it's, it's one of many things that has caused people who were not happy with the performance in the last election to say that we need to do something different. 
Aaron O'Toole, in his tweet last night in response to this situation, laid it out there. Um, and I think this is uh, an interesting approach that he's taking because he's definitely saying it's the social conservatives that have the issue. And he actually said there are two roads open to the Conservative Party of Canada. One is the road of Randy Hillier and Derek Sloan. It is angry, negative, and extreme. It is a dead end. One that would see the Party of Confederation become the NDP of the right. The other road is to better reflect the Canada of 2022, to recognize that conservatism is organic, not static, and that a winning message is one of inclusion, optimism, ideas, and hope. That really is at the center of the modern conservative debate, is it not? Correct. Um, there, there are definitely two paths right now. And I would go further than that as to say there's two paths, but three groups of people within the Conservative Party, from my perspective. Um, the Conservative Party has always been a coalition between social conservatives, former reformers, and progressives, former PCers. Those two groups have always existed. Yep. But I'd say definitely within the past couple of years, we've seen um, we've seen an increase in the populist faction of the party, um, people who don't necessarily have strong principles either way. Maybe they have a bit of both in their in their politics weaved in, but they're willing to be very outspoken and overt and loud about where they think that political culture or where the, the base of the Conservative Party is going. And I think that that has actually been something that's really damaged yeah. the Conservative Party and made it difficult to decide which paths were going down. Um, but I would agree, there, there are two paths and and... We've been having this discussion for a long time, it seems, and we're, we're finally going to have to get to a point where we need to solve it. So, Melissa, that's the question, and the last one for me. We, you're right. We've walked this path before. Those those two groups within the party come together and walk hand-in-hand hand for a little while, and then they separate. Is this a position where, is there somebody out there that can say, okay, we're going to come together, we're going to respect and include everybody to the point that they're happy? Or are we in a position now where, as you said, we, are, we already know Maxime Bernier has a, has a warm and welcoming house for a lot of people to run to if they want. Um, it, do we see this split into two prominent conservative parties once again? I think there's a real risk of that right now, just because there is more of an elected presence of um, of the more conservative socially conservative side of of the party that was able to get elected um in this past election and so i would say that the heavy um not and not all of caucus i want to be clear there are still a lot of progressive um and more centrist folks within the cpc but i would say that the the more conservative folks within the movement have a lot of power right now so i don't know um, unless they're able to secure a leader that is acceptable to them, I don't know how the party stays together. So if the party stays together, it, it could be under the leadership of somebody that's a bit more right of center. And then that leaves questions for the long-term game of how does how do the conservatives fare in the next yeah. election? Um, but I, I see that as the only path really for them sticking together at this point. Fascinating. Fascinating, but entirely predictable too at the same time, which is the uh, the amazing thing about all this. Melissa, thank you so much for your time as always. Thanks, Jay. Take care. Yeah, you too. Appreciate it. Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist, consultant, and writer, and a frequent uh, guest on the show, talking about the conservative uh, political situation. It'll be fascinating to follow tomorrow, see what happens. Um, as, as we heard at the caucus meeting tomorrow, uh, there will be a vote on Aaron O'Toole's leadership. And if he loses that vote, 50% plus one, that's it. He's done. Gone. No longer leader of the party. An interim leader is brought in, and uh, they head into their third leadership race in less than six years. 
Something that's definitely, I'm not going to lie, it's been on my mind. And I got into this a bit yesterday in terms of where I think um, politics in the United States has gone and how I really, really hope we're not on the verge of a similar move in Canada. And I know what happens in the U.S. happens here, too, um, to a lesser degree. But if you go back to the days of the Tea Party and then through the Donald Trump presidency and what's happened to the Republican Party, and full disclosure here, uh, I was thinking about it last night, I've been supportive of far more Republican politicians than Democrats over the years. But the Republican Party in the U.S. right now is is alien to me. I don't, I don't, I don't under, it, it's, 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 it, it's gone crazy in my opinion. It really and truly has. Um, and is that the Tea Party? Is that Trump? Is it popular? How does this all come together? And there was a lot of people that were talking about this truckers convoy um, as being, you know, you heard the comparisons to January 6th. This is going to be Canada's January 6th. And there was concern and obviously it never materialized. But are we moving in that direction? That's the question I'm asking here. So to chat about that, we have Dr. Stephanie Carvin joining us, who is an assistant professor of international relations, the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton. Um, Dr. Carvin, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. So that, that, that's the question, right? We know that there is that move towards populism. It, it's, it has been traditionally very, very small um, in our country. Uh, a lot of people wondering what this convoy represented in terms of that movement. Was this going to be sort of the launching point for this movement? Um, is that a fair way of assessing the situation? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk online, like, okay, well, what is this? Where is this going? What does this mean? And um, look, I, I just just the facts here, okay? Like, the, the people who started this convoy have some fairly extreme fringe views. Absolutely. Um, some of which are, yeah, some of which are anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, that said. Now, what we've seen this before in Canada, and there was a United We Roll um, rally back in 2019. I'm, sh- I'm sure you covered it yeah, then. Yeah. Um, that went to Canada, uh, so went to Ottawa, but it didn't have the same level of success, right? And I think partially because they weren't able to frame an issue around something that Canadians were particularly passionate about. So let's fast forward like three, four years, and we've been living in this kind of pandemic nightmare. We're all sick of it. I'm sick of it. Everyone's sick of it. Um, and, and we're looking for a way out. And I think that framing their, you know, movement around, you know, frustrations with the pandemic has really caught fire. And, you know, we've seen like, you know, $9 million raised, uh, people showing enthusiasm in a way that I I don't think people have shown enthusiasm for a political movement, whatever it is, for a very long time. And, And so, you know, there is some questions here, like, is this now um, the creation or what we, we think it's more the maturing of a Tea Party style movement in Canada? And what then will the impact of that be on Canadian politics going forward? And that's really kind of a piece uh, myself and a co-author, Amara Masingham, tried to put out in a Globe and Mail editorial, uh, which I think was printed today, but was online yesterday. And I, and I think that's the question, too. And, and I can tell you, Doctor, sitting here doing this show, I know without a doubt that there is definitely an appetite for that among some Canadians. How many? I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I hear from them regularly that absolutely want to see more of that populist movement. They're all in on it. They enjoy it. The question I have, though, is do you think 
Um, it seems to me like it's a lot of the same people that I hear from that are feeling more emboldened. They're feeling more part of something right now. Um, this is a moment for them. But are they increasing in number, I guess, is the question. Do you think this is something that could spread? Or is it that small group that's always been there, but they're just being more effectively heard right now? Uh, you know, that's an excellent question. I think the, the key is is that we have seen um, this group tap into a larger widespread anger. And so what I guess what's really going to depend and, and what's really where I think this issue goes or, or a populist movement goes in Canada is going to depend on whether or not this movement can frame itself in the future with a similar kind of issue that rallies Canadian support. I think, you know, this may have been a spark that caught fire because there was just so much fertile ground with frustrations with the pandemic and the pandemic movement. But like, if this movement becomes about something different, if it becomes about, say, you know, like in, in 2019, it was largely about anti-immigration and, and, and ideas about... Um, well, it started United with pipelines and morphed into like that. that, right? Uh, well, That's how they often go. Well, it kind of actually started with about, I would actually say it's the opposite. It started with conspiracy theory. And then to make it more palatable, they kind of pasted on some stuff about oil and pipelines um, to make it more accessible, right? Because if you just walk up to someone and say, hey, we're really <laughs> upset about this weird treaty, it's never going to work. Like my parents saw people here in Ontario on highways, you know, holding signs about the UN. They had no idea what that was right. about. But suddenly you say, oh, I'm for the oil and gas workers. Everyone's like, yeah, I know what that's about. I like oil and gas workers. So I think it was a little bit the, the, the other way around. And I think we may be seeing that here as well. So I think what going to depend is if the leaders of this movement are able to frame uh, another issue in like post-pandemic future, hopefully, uh, of uh, around immigration, around, I don't know, taxes, around um, all different kinds of things, then, then yeah, this movement can keep going for sure. I mean, I, if I'm a political leader, I mean, oh, Aaron O'Toole's having a day, so yeah. we'll just push yeah. that aside for a minute. But like, if I'm a, if I'm a you know, leader of a political party, but, and I see this, I see a movement that's been able to just fundraise like crazy, yep. and almost more importantly, has energy. I mean, exactly. I think Canadians are so uninspired by our leaders right now because um, they want out of this, they want a plan, they want something to, to go on, and the only people offering a plan are these people, right? You know, it's the most extreme plan, in, in my view, and unconstitutional and un, you know, probably unworkable and, and unhealthy plan, um, but it's a plan. Um, and it's there. So I think that this is what political leaders need to keep in mind when they see this movement is, you know, um, people want hope for their future. People want to see where where the end of this is. And they want something different. And, you know, which, which of our political parties is really offering something different right now? And um, none of them really are. And so I think that's why it's important to maybe take all of this in, into consideration, right? Like, you know, that, that to me is the implication of this, is not to give in to what necessarily uh, these guys want, but, like, think about it in terms of, like, well, why are these people finding hope in perhaps the most extreme options? Is it because they're extremists? No, it's definitely not the case for, I think, the vast majority of no. people. I think it's because they're articulating a plan. Yep. And and they're offering a vision of the future, which basically no one else is. And they're putting action to the frustration that so many of us are feeling. You're absolutely right. And I think you hit on something that's really important in my mind, just from watching this and observing. Um, you're, for this to continue and to grow and to get larger, you're going to need two things. You're going to need a media ecosystem, um, yes. a, a Fox News or an OAN. 
and you are going to need politicians who recognize that there is support, there's mo- there's momentum, there's energy, there's fundraising, and are willing to tap into it, um, damned the outcome, if you know what I mean. You need those two things for this this situation, and I don't know if we've had that before in Canada. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, we don't have a Fox News, we don't have an OAN, but we do have an alternative media ecosystem sure in Canada, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, True North, Rebel, whatever you want to call it. I mean, um, there are some of the people that have been pushing kind of anti-lockdown measures really since since um, the spring of 2020. So that exists. And then secondly, though, but this is the, that second point I think is so important because, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, they're like, is this Canada's Trump moment? I'm like, is there going to be a Trump? Right. And then the second issue is here is that the nature of our political system isn't that of the United States. Right? We're a Westminster system. Yeah. That kind of incentivizes parties to kind of go for the mushy middle. But in doing so, you kind of have this, hardcore 10 15 percent on the right and in some cases the left sure oh, yeah. the left here there's left populist movement that they um are going to consistently be disappointed and they're going to channel their efforts towards people they think are, are are representing them so it's a really tricky thing to balance there is no guarantee that this is going to be something that lasts but is there something there right now absolutely definitely yeah i agree with you wholeheartedly doc thanks so much for your time great chat appreciate it Hey, thanks for having me on. You bet. That is Dr. Stephanie Carvin, who is an assistant professor in uh, international relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton. Year of the Tiger. Um, And we know it's been a tough couple of years. Um, for a lot of Asian people in North America and around the world, in fact, there's been a, a really, really marked jump in anti-Asian racism in North America. And it's well documented. You've heard the stories. Joining us now to talk about that and how the year of the tiger may be a good time for a reset is Gina Wong, who is a professor and psychologist at Athabasca University. Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Shay. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you joining us. I mean, they, they do put positive attributes to the pig, right? They do, and in fact, I'm a pig as well, so we're in good company. <laughs> there you go. It's not all bad. But I think Year of the Tiger is probably, that's probably one of the coolest ones. Um, but I think it, the piece you wrote for the conversation is is really interesting and makes so many very good points. Let's just start with the problem at hand. And as I said, we know it's well documented. There has been a sharp increase in anti-Asian racism right across North America, Right. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, some are calling it the dual pandemic. We've got the COVID-19, but we also have this pandemic of anti-Asian hate and racism. So, yeah, having to deal with both as yeah. Asians, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and this is, of course, your area of expertise as a psychologist. This is what you work with. Um, what's the impact being? Well, as a psychologist, so my clinical practice, I, I work with Asians and also, in you know, in my research at Athabasca University, I've got a research team focused on Asian mental health and in my own life experiences. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot kind of informing me. It's personal and it's professional. There's, you know, there's a lot of challenge, again, as I say, with the dual pandemic already, you know, generally with the social isolation, the emotional isolation, the unpredictability generally overall of what we're feeling right now. And, you know, the sentiment that we're all going through a global trend trauma sense mm-hmm. right now with with covid and then you know being asian and having to be vigilant and thinking about you know when i go out in public or even 
you know, in, even in our virtual meetings, things can happen. Um, microaggressions, discrimination, those kinds of things, direct and indirect, can be stated. And, you know, there was a research, it was like 72% of Asian Americans felt that discrimination and hate was more stressful than the pandemic itself. So, you know, in this world of uncertainty, also having to think about, am I safe in my environment? Is my family safe? Am I safe? All those kinds of things just add to this increased pressure and burden. Gina, explain it to people like me who um, are privileged to have never had that kind of a thought cross our mind based on the way that we look or anything like that. It's, it's just something that I've never thought of. Um, yeah. is, is that something that you think of all the time? Is this a constant you know, thought that you have to try and deal with? Or is it like you say, when you're going to a meeting or you're going out or is there certain, I mean, or is this just something that's constantly there with you? Well, with all the increase and things happening, and it's all over the news and yeah. what we're hearing, it has a way of, you know, this, it's called vicarious trauma. So it's not just what happens to us. It's also what we see in the media and hear about. So there is this vigilance. And it's not, you know, I, I find it very interesting. So when I was reading and hear, hearing about Michelle Goh, so she was pushed um, on the New York subway. Subway train, yeah. That's right. Um, and just hearing about that, it you know, it affects, it affects you when you look, you know, that's someone that is relatable. That's someone that looks like me, that looks like my family members. And I remember, you know, going to the post office and sitting in my car and some people, you know, just walking by and making some noise. And just out of the, like the peripheral vision, mm-hmm. I just thought, are they saying something about me? You know, it, it's not even this active conscious thing. It's this just the sense inside that, you know, I don't fit here. This isn't safe. And I've had experiences, unfortunately, of being in presentations and webinars where racial slurs are said to me. So, you know, the reality is that this does happen, how you look and how people perceive you and, you know, all with the political rhetoric that's happening. The blame is there and scapegoating is, is, you know, it's just, unfortunate how it happens and you're privileged to not have that experience of you know worrying about your well-being oh don't i know it absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) for sure yeah without a doubt um so here we are year of the tiger um and you know your piece makes a really good point it's time for we can reset you know we can sort of draw to some of the attributes and the fact that it's the start of a lunar new year and we can maybe start off in a new direction talk a bit about that yeah, it's it's this global reset that we can make. It's a new start. It's this idea of, you know, fresh Lunar New Year is known as the Spring Festival. So that kind of, you know, clean up and uh, put old things away. But I think the important message, too, and, it, you know, in addition to what I see in the article, it's not about Asians and our allies fighting harder and talking louder. Now is the time to be heard and for actions to be taken, you know, we can talk and talk and we can fight and we can have rallies, but it's time for the listening and, you know, bold changes and how can we fix our broken systems so that we can support Asian communities. This is the time, this is the year. And the tiger, you know, the notion of the courage, it's, it is for us, but it's also, you know, for society to say we aren't going to take this anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. 
That's that's the hard piece, though, right? I mean, we can all individually say what we want to see, and but it, it's it's affecting it overall. But I mean, the only way to do that is is by each of us pledging to do it, right? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It starts from you know the end of one myself and what I do, and being on you know shows like this and you know supporting the shift in this narrative of of Asians being at fault and not just now, it's, you know, known in the 19th century that, you know, blame and the yellow peril and all those kinds of associations were placed upon us. So it's fighting, you know, it's fighting a lot. And it's mm-hmm. about, you know, bringing attention to this and, um, you know, having having people listen and make those changes. Well, Gina, I hope we were able to do some of that today. Um, and I appreciate your time very much. Thanks so much. I appreciate being here. You bet. Thank you. That's Gina Wong, who is a professor and psychologist uh, at Athabasca University. And it is the Lunar New Year as of today, Year of the Tiger. And as she said, um, you know, it's perfect time to lean on the attributes of the tiger as we start off to a better year, hopefully, for all of us. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.